Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people like you and me that broke into tech. Good leaders start solving problems by walking in people's shoes, which is why today's episode features the director of inside sales at a company called Twilio that lives that concept as part of his leadership principles. Today's guest is not only one of the youngest successful sales executives in the tech world, but he is also rapidly growing his team in a way that is envied by others in enterprise sales. For those of you that are in San Francisco today, November 9, Breaking Into Startups is hosting an event at Twilio's headquarters with their CEO, Jeff Lawson, in collaboration with BPN, Black Enterprise, Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce, and 100 black men of the Bay Area. So far, over 400 people have RSVP'd. We have live music, and it's about to go down in a major way. As you all know, sales is the best paid job in the world and is arguably one of the quickest ways to the CEO seat. So, if you want to know how to level up in sales, make sure you pay attention to the gems our guest drops in this episode. Join the Breaking Startups Facebook community. Like the Breaking Startups Facebook page where, in fact, we stream the video version of this podcast episode featuring our guest Dan Burrill. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so tonight we're recording this episode out of Twilio. We're at their new headquarters. Before the episode, we got a tour of their game room, their stocked kitchen, just like their beautiful office. And it's um, getting late. Our guest is super busy, so we're about to jump in. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Absolutely. First of all, shout out to Charles for introducing us to our guest. His name is Dan Burrell, who is not just the inside sales boss at Twilio, but he's a seasoned executive that has spent time at a lot of other amazing companies, including Box, Honeywell, and other organizations. He is also an outdoorsman like us, spending a lot of time in Tahoe. He's a family man, has a wife, two dogs, no kids. He's from Southern California, and we are very grateful to be here with them. Dan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the kind words. Very gracious <laughs> introduction. Awesome. Awesome. And so, you know, we hear a lot about Twilio. Some people know what it is. Some people don't know what it is. Can you please enlighten the people? Happy to. Happy to. So let me start by saying this is my favorite company I have ever worked at. Okay. And there's a number of reasons for that. I joined Twilio about a year and a half ago. You mentioned I was at Box before. I came over here for one big reason in particular, market opportunity. Okay. Twilio operates in an industry that a lot of us in tech maybe don't think about as being front and center, and that's telecommunications. Okay. There's an industry that's been around for decades, and Twilio is really fast-forwarding this space into the future. Okay. And they're doing that in a really interesting way. So people ask you all the time, what is Twilio? How do I touch it? How do I interact with it? I used to start that answer with Twilio is an API. 
Okay. The way that I have evolved that answer and the way that I've come to see our value and position in the marketplace is what I realize is we are a super network where we aggregate the world's biggest telecom providers uh-huh. into one platform. Uh-huh. And then we happen to have an API that enables software developers access some of the world's largest telecom to create custom workflows for communication. And when I say custom workflows communication, that makes it sound overly complex. I'm simply talking about when you make a phone call on your cell phone and you're talking voice or you're sending SMS messages. So uh, for example, we talked about examples of this platform. When you hail a ride sharing app Uh and you're standing on the street corner and you're waiting to get picked up and you're trying to coordinate with that driver, if you make a phone call, if you send a text to triangulate where you are, that's more than likely traveling on the Twilio platform. So we operate behind the scenes. We do some of the complex carrier relations stuff that our clients don't want to worry about. It's not their core business. And that enables them to focus on the customer experience, making sure that that rider has an awesome time and is excited about coming back and will handle the telecom stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And for people listening, kind of what's the challenge of sending a text message, right? Because I think to some people, they're not familiar, like, hey, like, all I have to do is just like type in the message. And then if I'm a company, just like put in the phone number and send it. Like, what are the complexities around that? I could go all night on that one. You probably don't want me to. But I think I'll use the example of a phone call, which I think mm-hmm. everyone listening can appreciate. We've all had drop calls. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time, right? Um, we've also had calls when the quality wasn't so good and the other person on the other line was muffled. You couldn't even understand what they were saying. So there's actually a tremendous amount of complexity happening behind the scenes across what we call, the, well, it's not what we call it, it's what it's called, the public switch telephone network. Mm-hmm. And when we place our calls, there's a lot of complexity of that call routing to connect those two parties over the public switch telephone network. And so what Twilio does, which is unique and very special, is we operate hundreds, if not thousands of carrier relations mm-hmm. so that when you want to power a text message, we will route that, or you want to power a phone call, we will route that with an evolving algorithm over the right routes to ensure that that message is delivered, that call has the highest quality possible. Awesome. Um, yeah. Really cool. Really cool. I love how you guys focus on a space that a lot of people don't normally think about and then position yourself well there. And so for you, what does an inside sales boss mean? Tell us a little bit more about the weight and responsibilities that you have and, and the size of your team. Sure. And this is the scope and a size of team that's evolved greatly in the time that I've been here. When I joined about a year and a half ago, took responsibility for an organization of about 20 people. Okay. And that was spread across two primary organizations what we call our sales development org, which I think is going to sound familiar to a lot of your listeners, and also our quota carrying team or our account executive team. The closers. The closers, that's right. So the way that we define those two orgs, starting with the sales development group, that team is working on marketing qualified leads. We've got Mm -hmm. a big active marketing department. Uh They're out there running the website, running events, helping us publish content. Uh And when folks interact with that content, that lead is put into the system. That team follows up on that so diligently. Let's un- unpack this right yeah, here. So sure. this, this, for some people, the, the listeners, I don't think we've actually covered this on a podcast. This is an inbound funnel, right? This is a lead funnel. So, Very much so. so. The marketing team generates leads, mm-hmm. right? Creating demand. Yeah, creating said another demand, way. Creating demand. Creating demand, demand gen, mm-hmm. lead generation. And then they have a content marketing team that sends out different types of things to them, whether it's like, white papers, emails, things like that. And then what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is based off of the way that they interact with it, it's scored 
in a list that you all call a market qualified lead list that your team then calls on. That's exactly right. Yeah. So marketing has their own version of the funnel. Mm -hmm. They start with awareness Mm -hmm. and they're trying to educate the marketplace about what it is that we do. They're trying to find potential buyers that might have a need for what we do. Uh And then their job is to educate them about how Twilio can add value to their world. Mm -hmm. Once they've done that and they've gotten a little bit of interaction, Mm -hmm. that process kicks off exactly what you described. Mm -hmm. That's when it lands on my team's top of funnel. And then their job is to engage as quickly as possible. The clock starts ticking the second that lead is routed. Got it. And so we measure, we actually measure that average time to response. Yep. And ideally we're always shooting for five minutes. Five minutes. That makes sense. Speed to lead is very quick, Speed to lead. important. And so for the people that are focused on responding within those first five minutes, mm-hmm. how do you measure them? Like, are they focused on setting up meetings? Cause like you have account executives that focus on closing. Like right. what do these people that are responding in five minutes do? That's a good question. So when we talk about average response time, that's what we would talk about it as a KPI or an activity type or a leading indicator. Uh-huh. But I think what you're getting at, which is this is still very much a sales team. There's only one thing that matters and that's quota. Uh-huh. And quota for this team is the number of qualified opportunities that they pass to yep. the quota carrying team uh, that yeah. is then accepted into their pipeline. So there is a specific event and there's a quality measure on that. And so their job is to pass as much as they can. We'd call it a pass uh-huh. because they have that customer conversation they qualify it. They take really diligent notes. Yep. It's inputted into the system. They then click a button that says, send it to the rep that owns this territory. Yep. The rep has a conversation, validates that all those notes are accurate and up to date and that this yep. customer's got a real need and a real problem to solve. And then they click a button in the system that says, all right, pay that rep for that pass. Very well organized. So it sounds like you all have a template that these inside sales reps follow to make sure that they've covered certain things mm-hmm. for the closers. That's true. What yeah. is the, do you have like follow some kind of outline for qualifying? Yeah, the, I'll, I'll use an acronym that I wouldn't be surprised if is, has been used on this podcast before. We do follow BANT. Okay, yeah. Um, We've talked about it. You've talked about this one. So BANT stands for budget, authority, need, and timeline. And so these are four basic categories of information that represent there might be some warmth to this lead, could be a real opportunity to uncover here. And qualifying is an interesting dance. It's an interesting balance. And it's something that, frankly, in my time in tech, there's never really a perfect answer for it. It's something that you're always sort of managing. And what I'm talking about is you want it to be well-qualified enough so that it's a good use of your closer's time, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to constrict that too tight that you might be depriving yourself of the opportunity to get a good season closer in front of that customer to build a relationship for the long term. So that's one of those kind of throttles that I talk about with my managers on both sides who are managing that acceptance rate of what should be passed and what's that definition of what we should pass. So Bant's going to be the most basic form of it. But then, frankly, it's a week over week balancing act and checking in on it and talking about it and hearing about the reps' preferences and making sure that there's good tight communication between those two groups. They're saying, hey, I'd like a little bit more questions on these categories. They were a little light. Or actually, you know what? You should loosen it up. Everything's been too good. You're probably turning away stuff that I want to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And so after you've passed something to a closer, what process do account executives follow? from either discovery until close. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're talking about this. Now we're talking about the sales funnel. Uh-huh. And so we've got a set number of defined stages mm-hmm. that our opportunities move through. Now, what we talk about in order to get a win on the account executive team, we need five basic wins. And what's 
perhaps a little bit unique about our process. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're totally special. There's other companies that face a similar situation. But when you're building an application on Twilio, or, or I should say, in order to use any Twilio, you have mm-hmm. to build something. Yep. You use our API to construct your own unique app. Now, it may be something totally custom that the world's never seen before. It may be something kind of similar that's actually fairly common that a lot of others have built. Either way, you have to build something, which means that our process in going from that first call to what we would call a close one deal can take many different shapes and forms. So it's not necessarily linear every single time like places that I've worked in the past. So getting back to these five categories, which I think strikes at your question, we need first and foremost to get a technical win. Okay. We need to validate that, yeah, this thing can actually accomplish what it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, this fits your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, we also need to get a security win. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that, you know, the kind of information that you're going to be passing through this channel and the security that our platform offers you is compliant and that aligns. Mm-hmm. And that's um, more on the impl- implementation side, right? The customer implements it correctly. So they're not, I don't know, revealing their passwords or anything like that, right? That can be part of it. Can, it actually, security just covers everything. Mm-hmm. Security of the platform itself, mm-hmm. security in the way that they implement, there's considerations everywhere. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's important to bring up a part yeah. of implementation. We also need to have a strong business case. Mm-hmm. You know, Twilio costs money. Mm-hmm. The way that we make money mm-hmm. as a company mm-hmm. is by buying and reselling these minutes and messages that I'm talking about. And the reason that we can afford to do that is because we add more value to our customers than we're charging them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we make our margin as a company. And mm-hmm. so that conversation with the sales rep needs to include the conversation about how they're going to extract value from this application that they build how they're going to delight customers, how they're going to drive more revenue, how they're going to reduce cost, whatever the case may be. So there's Mm -hmm. a business case aspect. Mm -hmm. The last two that we have to win, in addition to technical security and business cases, we need to align on commercial terms. Are we talking about a 12-month, 24-month, 36-month agreement? What are the payment terms? How much are we asking them to commit to? What are the discounts that we're offering them in exchange for those commitments? So there's commercial terms of the contract that has to make sense for both parties. And lastly, you know, we need legal alignment. Yeah. So anytime you're talking about contracts, my advice is that you bring up legal as early as possible. Yeah. Because that can be one of those categories when you're trying to get a deal done that if you don't pay attention to it, it can surprise you. Yeah. So it's better to get out in front of it, get the parties aligned. And you know, the thing that's going to help the lawyers and come together. If there is discrepancy, if you are kind of far apart on what that language stipulates in that contract is the business case. Mm -hmm. The stronger the business case, the further the gap between legal parties you can Mm -hmm. bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So so it sounds like as a salesperson, there's a lot of steps you have to go through. What is the average, I guess, sales cycle? cycle? Thanks, Ruben, for pointing (laughs) out the term. And then um, what happens if someone fails one of the conditions? Do you guys put them out of the funnel and come back to it? Or like what happens to that? Yeah. I'm going to take that part of the question first. Mm -hmm. So I use a phrase with the team, which is kind of a constant drumbeat and they're sick of me talking about it, (laughs) but active disqualification. And what I mean by that is when you talk about Mm -hmm. somebody that you got to kick out of the funnel, they miss one of those categories. They can no longer be a deal because one of those five things is not aligned and you've made the determination that you're not going to get aligned. My advice to you is, Get that out of your funnel as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Move on to the next person that can. Mm -hmm. So we talk about active disqualification and 
one of those other sales phrases that you're going to hear on the other side of that coin is happy years. <laughs> You'll also hear people say rose-colored glasses. Basically, yeah. <laughs> what we're talking about is people that hear what they want to hear and they yeah. ignore the potential potholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know that is not a best practice. You want to lean into those potholes. You want to dissect those potholes. You want to know now rather than later if there's a reason that this deal can't be done. So don't hear what you want to hear. Scrutinize every answer. Scrutinize every conversation. And if something doesn't feel right, I strongly suggest that you ask more pointed questions about it, not less. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore it. Don't hope that it's going to go away. Don't hope that it's going to sort itself out Mm -hmm. because oftentimes it won't. And we've seen it happen. You spend time in this industry. It happens to the best of us. It always happens at the worst time and the worst deal. Mm -hmm. Part of your job as a salesperson is to avoid surprises for yourself, your bosses, and the business. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wall Street doesn't like surprises. They don't. They (laughs) They like predictability. Exactly. (laughs) So ask those questions forcefully early and often. Yeah. yeah so that then, was, yeah. yeah. So then um, great answer. And then for the sales, sales cycle, cycle and maybe also like the deal size, because like, you probably don't yeah. do it with small developers, but with businesses a certain size, like what is that size of? Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought me back to that one. I, I went on my, my Wall Street. Oh, that was great. <laughs> that was good. But, yeah. um, <laughs> so what I want to share on this front is there's actually, you're hitting on something that's really important to me in my world. And that's what we call our velocity equation. Oh, yes. I like this equation. It's one of my favorites. That's right. It's a good one, right? It it helps us make money. It helps us earn commissions when when our velocity is higher. So, I mean, I think we all intuitively sort of know what that word means. And there's an actual equation in sales that defines our velocity. And the average length of deals is a key component of that equation. So other things that go into it are the number of leads that you receive on a monthly or quarterly basis, your win rate against those leads, what percentage of everything that you talk to is actually going to turn into a close one deal. How long does it take? And what's the average size of these deals? So you take the number of leads times the win rate times the average size divided by the age. That is telling you how much business you can do in a given time frame. So we look at our velocity equation on a quarterly basis. We sign quarterly comp plans, mm-hmm. which means we get paid quarterly. And those are our quotas. So we're constantly looking to improve all four of those metrics so that we can increase our velocity. There's more than one way to increase your velocity. You can decrease your average age. Mm-hmm. You can increase your average size. You can increase your win rate, or you can increase the number of leads that you work in a given month mm-hmm. or a quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. I've got a dashboard that That's another one that my team is sick of talking about, but I put it in front of them all the time and we talk about velocity and I ask the question, what are you doing to improve these metrics to increase your throughput? Yeah. It's like if you're doing a race, one of my buddies, he races cars. So like with the car, the speed of the car is determined by how heavy the car is. Mm -hmm. So you can either decrease the weight or you can increase the size of the engine, maybe like tweak the tires. So it sounds like this equation is very important for our listeners to understand because a good salesperson could be great at like, just he might be a hustler who just makes a hundred calls a day and then he'll hit the quotas. Or maybe that person is just good on the phone and they're able to close more deals and they can hit the quota. So everyone has their own unique quality, right? Yeah, yeah. you're right. And you brought up dashboards and, and I know that sales velocity is something that you funnel. Can we talk a little bit more about other dashboards that you look sure. like as a manager? Yeah. And then- the dashboards that your individual reps look at when it comes to managing pipeline. Yeah. So I'll caveat this with the fact that our dashboards are currently under construction yeah. <laughs> in a number of ways. 
but we're in that process of designing them. Under construction, They're always under construction. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever had a dashboard that I used for more than a quarter, and I was totally happy with. I'm sort of always tweaking and tuning it, and you always think it'd get better. And if Salesforce is listening, I would. I have a feature request for you. I want more than 20 elements on my Salesforce dashboard. <laughs> I run out every single time. So I have three primary dashboards. Mm-hmm all the various stages of development. The one that's probably the most mature is that Velocity one. Yeah, And then my account executives own accounts themselves, which means they also own the existing spend of those accounts at the start of that quarter. So we have one dashboard dedicated to the spend of existing customers and maintaining that and helping it grow. And so when we set out the quarter, we set growth rates for these customers and we expect that they're going to grow by a certain percentage. And then we're tracking their progress against those projected targets throughout the quarter. And so There's a lot of different elements on there, but we're trying to give reps visibility into who's overachieving, Mm -hmm. who's underachieving, where can they lean in to create the biggest ROI for themselves. They've got one big install number to hit and we want to show them a lot of data so that they can make a plan about how to attack it, who to engage, who to call, all the rest. The last dashboard is the new business dashboard. Mm-hmm. And that's the bulk of how we retire quota, get mm-hmm. paid, earn the mm-hmm. big bucks as salespeople. That's yeah. bringing in new logos, that's selling new use cases. And on there, you know, there's a couple of key categories. And the way I think about approaching building a dashboard and helping out a rep, because that's the ultimate goal. Oh, yeah. Dashboards are for visibility. Dashboards are to help reps do their job effectively. They're also to help management understand what's going on in the business. Mm-hmm. And so I like to have triggers on there, actionable triggers. Mm-hmm reminders for reps. So Mm -hmm. an example of that might be deals with closed dates that are set in the past, Mm -hmm. which as we all know, you can't possibly go back in time and close the deal. So keeping your data up to date in Mm -hmm. Salesforce is sort of an ongoing challenge as a sales rep. So Mm -hmm. helpful reminders and aspects like that, maybe deals of a certain size that don't have uh, next steps on them. Mm -hmm. We want to be strategic about all of our well, about every opportunity, but especially our biggest one. So if you've got something in there that saying it could be really large and we haven't documented next steps, that means other people in the company aren't really able to help you out as much because we don't know what you need to go win this thing. And we want to be able to help. I want to be able to help. So that's important. We're also looking at, of course, what's our progress against our goals at this point in the quarter, whether we're the first week in or we've got one week to go. I want everybody to know exactly where we stand. You know, my last and kind of favorite category of aspects of this dashboard is it's the stack rank. Yep. yep. I mean, (laughs) you know it when you get into sales, you're there to compete. Mm -hmm. Now we have a very friendly, healthy, competitive culture on the team and one Mm -hmm. that I'm really, really proud of. We emphasize having a safe environment to learn, make mistakes, hone your skills, Mm -hmm. improve, learn from your peers. But- you also want to be there to beat your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, um, 100%. It's friendly competition. Friendly competition. I know that a huge part of what drove me as an individual was seeing my name at the top of the leaderboard yeah. on that dash that everyone was looking at. Yeah, it's black and white. It's like sports. Right. Yeah. It's like sports. Yeah. yeah. Are, those, are, those, are those leaderboards automated and, and sent in a daily email to your team or do you guys go over, da- have dailies or what does that look like? Is this on the wall? You give me some good ideas. Um, <laughs> no, they're not sent daily. Uh-huh. You know what I, I actually do? I send it to myself daily. Uh-huh. I think once I finish construction on the rest of these, yeah. I do think they're going to start getting sent out. Yeah. But we do, and we have the early stages of some of these up on the wall. We've got, so like these monitors you've got behind you. Um, we have those hanging from the ceiling where we sit in sales. And so yeah. 
Yeah, there's visibility. We know who's made the most calls today. Yeah. We know who passed the most opportunities and and pretty soon we're going to know who's closed the most amount of business. Too. Yeah. Speaking of that real quick. Yeah. So I know people's take on activity is different. So some people are like, all right, there's a minimum level of activity every day in order to hit this number, or we've seen this historically. Do you set minimums or you just let people kind of like personalize their own activity level to hit their goals? If it's not working, then you step in. But if it is working, you step out. That's a really good question. In past worlds where we've been more self-reliant on our own pipeline, I've seen and had and implemented very, very strict activity metrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sort of had the business down to a point where we knew that if you weren't investing in these certain activities, there really was no chance or plan of being successful down the road. It's kind of exciting and almost a little bit embarrassing to admit that in our at Twilio, we've had so much demand. In other words, marketing has been so effective that I'm not looking at activities daily. Wow. And I get this question all the time in, in interviews when I'm helping candidates understand what it might be like to work here. They always ask, you know, how many cold calls per day? How many emails per day? And I tell them, you know, well, the, right now the answer is none. I'm not really <laughs> looking at it because everyone's killing their quotas, which is an awesome situation to be in. Yeah. We've still got tons of leads coming in the door that we're focused on just getting back to them as best we can and running really, really quality sales cycles. But the thing that I'm being very vocal about is, you know, and and some people on the team have never seen an environment that wasn't like that because maybe they've worked here their whole professional career. And I have to remind them that this is very, very unique. Yeah, Most companies aren't like this. I've never seen an environment like this. Um, So we're enjoying that while we have it. But uh, to go back to your original question, activity metrics will be coming. Yeah. But I can't exactly tell you when it's going to slow yeah. down. Yeah. So, so, so essentially, what you're saying, yeah. Timor, how's business? Booming. <laughs> it's booming. So it sounds like um, yeah. so if I'm a salesperson looking for a job and I'm evaluating different companies, it sounds like the product that you're actually selling actually plays a huge role. Because I have some people who are selling maybe meal delivery and like meal delivery food to startups, and then they're competing in a space with like a dozen other companies pretty much having a similar product. Mm-hmm. In your case, since you have the marketing team kind of send you these leads, and from my experience as an engineer, I know Twilio has one of the most friendliest like API developer documentations. So if you have a great product, then it makes the sales team uh, way more efficient at focusing on things like closing deals versus like battling rejection, right? So... Yeah, uh, battling rejection in that pipeline building process and reaching out to mm-hmm. people that maybe haven't heard of you or that aren't coming to you or aren't telling you they're interested. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so I think that's a really good category of questions for anybody that's interviewing at a mm-hmm. company to get a sense for what's the day in the life of a salesperson like right now. Specifically, the question I'd, I'd suggest you ask is what percentage of close one deals are coming from sales sourced versus marketing sourced? Mm-hmm. And that's going to tell you a lot about the way that you're going to spend your time. If 50% of your deals are coming from sales sourced, you're spending likely 50% of your time prospecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is your, speaking of product, and since we have engineers in the room, do you have any feedback loops? Like you guys might learn some things on the calls and you might want to prioritize some features or communicate some things to engineers. How, how does that work? Shout out to Kyle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We do. And in fact, you know, I just had, so we have an initiative that a lot of companies have and I've had this in all places that I've worked. We have a voice of the customer team. We have a project that is dedicated to accomplishing exactly what you just said. We want to get the feedback from the front lines 
which is my sales reps talking to customers and prospects every day and translating that back to the product team, back to the org that's going to make decisions about what features to prioritize, what to build out next. So in our case, that program is run by a group of dedicated sales engineers, Mm -hmm. and uh, they act as the liaison to capture our feedback, consolidate what we're hearing, stack rank and count up how many feature requests we're getting. And we use that to prioritize our request to the product side, to the engineering side. And, you know, frankly, we look at it you know, really in a very um, economic way. Yeah, We're looking at how much potential revenue is tied to these potential features. Yeah, If we had this feature, how much revenue could it unlock? And we use that to make informed decisions about what we invest in. Got it. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that you, you get to work with other teams. So tell us a little bit about who else you interact on a daily basis. And I would imagine Twilio is an API, so there's some integration that needs to happen as well. So like, how do you guys go about helping your customers integrate with you? Who are the, some of the players involved? And then kind of if, let's say, like I'm not good with the closing part, but I still like the sales process or want to be involved with kind of in customer-facing roles, mm. what's out there for those folks? Cool. Yeah. Let me take that first part. That Our partnerships within the company here are more robust than any place I've ever been before. There's so much to this platform. It's really exciting. So I mentioned sales engineers. I mentioned sales development. We want to interface with these group. We also have a partnerships and alliances organization. And uh, partnerships with Twilio could come in a couple of different shapes and sizes. We've got software providers who have built on our platform who are going to market with Twilio built in. And so we want to help them be successful and create standalone businesses on top of our platform, which we love because they then hire marketing and sales teams to drive more revenue for themselves. And when they succeed, we succeed. Usage of our platform goes up. The other kind of partner that we have is for folks that want to, they have a vision for a Twilio product, but maybe don't have the development expertise or choose not to spend the resources that way. We have partners that will help you build. Of course, I'm also working with marketing and that demand team, giving feedback on what the website says and different campaigns that I want to invest in and what product I want to focus on. And so there's a very tight daily communication that happens there. Who else? We've got an expert services team, which uh, is kind of an in-house services team, which will help advise customers on how they should build when they want to build it themselves. And we can send those folks on site to our customers. And we love doing that, A, because we charge for those services and B, because it helps our customers invariably build faster. Yeah. And we want them to build as quickly as possible. That helps our deal cycles. Yeah. Lastly, I think, you know, the last two orgs that I that come to mind for me are we talk to our support organization. Mm-hmm. When we are nurturing a client or a prospect, we want to make sure that they have technical support that is available and ready to answer their questions when they hit roadblocks or they have questions. And lastly, I do a lot of interfacing with our operations team. Unlike past businesses that I've worked in, we have an inventory of certain items that we resell. And oftentimes those items are you know, are phone numbers. In order to use Twilio, you have to buy phone numbers from us. Mm-hmm. And so I've got a team that procures those phone numbers. So I work closely with them to give them a heads up on the kinds of conversations I'm having, the kinds of phone numbers I might need. And when I'm talking about kinds of phone numbers, I'm talking about regions and area codes. Yeah. Because if you're, let's just pick a hypothetical example. If you're a plumber in Houston, and you want to advertise your growing business and you want to build a Twilio app to help you do that, you want to make sure that 
you're telling people to call a number that looks like it's in your area code. Yeah. That gains you credibility. And that's part of the value that we have as a platform is got more phone numbers and more area codes than anybody else yeah that explains yeah. why uh whenever i get a call from my uber driver it's the same area code as me there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right and so like for the people that are on your team what what qualities do you look for i know you know you got charles on your team who's been a guest on the podcast like what what are you looking for from like from closers and then also from inside sales reps and what does your interview process look like sure yeah we've we have a, a fairly straightforward interview process it starts with a conversation with me for 30 minutes on the phone or one of my hiring managers for that matter. If you make it through that, then we invite you on site to meet in person with about four people for 30 minutes each. Mm -hmm. And then depending on your level of seniority, you may have one more phone call with a higher level of management, or perhaps we're extending you an offer right there. Mm -hmm. And the things that we're looking for, you know, it's a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. We try to be very thoughtful about the characteristics. Certainly we need all of the normal things you would look for in a salesperson. Got to be a great communicator, both verbally and in writing. Mm-hmm. You have to show perseverance. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to take ownership of your results and of your outcomes. Got to be driven. Got to be motivated. That's all your sort of typical stuff. I think some of the attributes that make us a little bit unique are you know we're very much a growing organization, and in many ways we're younger than Twilio as a whole. Mm-hmm. Twilio didn't always have the size and scope of a sales org that we have today. Mm-hmm. And so because we're younger, we're still figuring out a ton. Yeah. And that means that I'm looking for people that are adaptable, that are flexible, that are avid learners because there's so much to know about this business and this industry. I'm looking for folks that have a proven track record of teaching themselves skills, mm-hmm. teaching themselves complex topics. They got to be willing to take charge of that. They got to be creative in the way that they solve problems. And they got to be a little bit courageous Yeah. because I'm going to throw you into unknown situations Yeah. and you're going to see situations as a salesperson on my team that nobody else on the team has seen yet. There won't be anybody to ask for what the answer is. And I'm going to expect you to use your creativity, your past experience, use the data that you have, make a decision, make a plan, test it and see how it goes. You know, I work hard to empower the team to be courageous, and hopefully they know that when they operate with the right intent, when they focus on preserving value for Twilio, when they focus on delivering an awesome customer experience, hopefully they know that I've got their back no matter what the result of that experiment was. Yeah. And for these written challenges, like what kind of challenges do these people expect? Written challenges? Yeah. So you said verbally and written. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about I mean, email correspondence. Yep. So this is actually maybe a helpful tip for folks that are going through the interview process. Mm-hmm. I scrutinize your thank you notes. Got it. First of all, send them that night. Yep. You have an interview with somebody, send the thank you note, get it in their inbox that night. Yep. Make sure that you're confirming that interviewer's email yep. in that conversation. You got to do that. Yep. And then what I'm looking for is I'm not looking for an essay. I'm really not counting length. And in fact, sometimes being too long can work against you. This is business writing. This is communication. This is about communicating your point and knowing that I have limited time to read. Make it so I can skim it. Give me the clear concise. It's got to be grammatically correct. And I should be able to get the message straight off. What about like a personal touch? Something that maybe you guys chatted during the interview. Does that help? Absolutely. In written communication and in in-person communication, we don't want to interview robots. Yeah. 
we want you to be yourself. If there's a way to inject a personal touch or remind me about a bit of conversation that we had, I think the perfect follow-up thank you email has a little bit of both Yeah, as it reiterates the point of why you're going to be good for this job, why you're a good fit. And maybe it even injects a little bit of humor and, and a personal touch and yeah, say, yeah. hey, thanks for sharing that and story. And to everyone listening, don't reuse the same thank you note with multiple people because <laughs> yeah. people do share. Yes, we absolutely do. Yeah. You're right. And we then, know if it's a copy paste four times. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then, and then uh, can you give a shout out to like some of your top closers and things that you like about them for the people that did come through um, so we can just get a sense of the people on your squad? Sure. Sure. Well, I know that when, you know, we started this conversation about what, six, six thirty. Yeah. When I came downstairs tonight and I was leaving the floor, I know that Connie Lou on my sales dev team was still up there cranking. Okay. She was answering Shout phones. Thank you, Connie. And uh, you know, the other person I'm gonna highlight is somebody that I'm traveling with tomorrow morning, Sarah Fitzpatrick on okay. the uh, account executive team, who was actually somebody that started in Charles's start class. She and I have a great opportunity. We're gonna get on a plane tomorrow for a day trip and go see a, a really exciting customer. So she's been doing a fantastic work all day getting ready for that. Awesome. And so for the people that didn't catch that, if you do good at closing, you also get to live that jet life on a plane sometimes <laughs> with Dan Barroso. Very cool. Very cool. And then you talk about training. I know we're going to wrap into the to the closing round. What kind of things do you cover in training? Because like, I mean, I would assume some people have sales experience. Like, sure. what do you want them to know? Oh gosh, training. We could go three hours on training. Easy, right? I think about training for this environment in three key categories. First of all, we got to get you ramped up on the product and the platform. We want you to understand that. Second, you got to understand our processes. We help you navigate our systems, know where to click in Salesforce to produce an order form, to create an opportunity, to move stages, to interact with your dashboards, all the things we were talking about a little bit earlier. And then lastly, there's, there's strategy in the deals. And in every sales cycle in every product in every company, you're going to have a slightly tweaked and unique strategy. And there's some strategies that carry over. There's some aspect of strategy, which is you know your unique personal style, and you're going to take that with you forever. But hopefully there's some tips and tricks of the trade in, in each selling environment that can help you move deals faster, maximize the value of those deals, get wins for yourself and for your customers. Got it. And around strategy, you're referring to things like Challenger sale or like spin versus Sandler versus that type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm talking about really the most basic form of strategy. How do I educate my client on what it is that we think we can build for them? When do I talk about pricing? How do I navigate tough questions? Yeah. When do I involve higher level individuals in my customer's account? Yeah. I want to talk to honestly everybody in their company, but it's not always appropriate to reach out to everybody. So there's a strategy involved in when do you reach out and yeah. how do you reach out and what's the value that you add in articulating that. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I, one of the bigger pieces is how do you quarterback the right resources in your company yeah. to put your opportunity in the best position to win? Yeah. And that means bringing in folks from other departments. We talked about some of those other departments today. I engage those teams all the time to either help me with an asset or help me actually talk to a customer. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're about to wrap up, but before we do so, can you just take us back to when you were in college and you were thinking about your career, kind of what were you passionate in and kind of what steps did you take to work your way up from just someone who is uh, starting out in sales to where you are today? Yeah. Happy to talk about this. I was thinking about this story when you guys 
approached me and wanted to have this conversation. It was an interesting time to reflect because it's been about, well, let's see, it's been seven plus years since I graduated college, graduated from UCSB. About my junior, senior year, I started to get more serious about what I was going to do after college. And I'll start by saying I was absolutely terrified Mm -hmm. about entering the workplace when college was done. I had the most incredible time in college. I was absolutely blessed with two parents that paid my way all the way through school, mm-hmm. which I'm incredibly indebted to them. You know, the financial support, the emotional support. I had two amazing parents. Mm-hmm. Um, shout and out to mom and dad. Absolutely. Shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> They're the reason that I'm here today. So to get back to the, the story, I started thinking about what I was going to do. And that started with, I've always had this hypothesis, this theory that I'm going to do best when I align myself with the natural tides and the waves that, that are progressing. At the time, one of the biggest topics in headlines and in the news was sustainability and eco and green. And what year was this? This was in 2008-ish, okay. yeah, around yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. And that felt pretty good to me. I thought I could do good for the planet. Hopefully I can make my own kind of green along the way. Um, <laughs> you know, that sounds like a decent way to make a living. I want to try to align to that. So I started taking classes in that realm. Mm-hmm. I officially declared a double major in economics and environmental studies. Okay. And the thinking was that I'm not an engineer. I'm not smart enough. I'm not really good with spreadsheets and numbers. I'm not a mathematician. I don't see myself in a lab. I got to be talking to people. That's the way that I'm going to make my living. And when I think about the profession where people talk to people and make money talking, it's in sales. Mm-hmm. So I figured that was really the thought process. And I identified that I want to get into green sustainability, eco sales after college. And step one was learning about that world. Yeah, I want to know the economic side of it. I want to know about the actual technologies and about the environment. So I started learning. The next step was got to get some relevant experience. So while I was still in school, the best thing that I did was I started donating my time to any organization or any individual that would take it. And what I got from that were references. I got learning, I got networking. And after, I would say about four unpaid internships, you want to call them, sometimes really just odd jobs, doing whatever the the task (laughs) called for, I managed to network my way in to a company called Honeywell, Mm -hmm. which is a Fortune 100 blue chip company that a lot of people have never heard of because they do very little advertising. But it's a 125-year-old some odd company. They got about 80,000 employees globally. It's not that dissimilar to a GE, sometimes referred to as like the child account. They're not related, but they're not that dissimilar. So they had a division where they were selling these kinds of energy-related projects to large energy users. And so there was a great marriage between what I had learned about and renewable energy and energy conservation and the solutions that this company sold. They made money by saving others' money on their electricity bill. Mm-hmm. Again, a really simple kind of like solar business model. Yeah, solar could sometimes be a part of saving energy. Oftentimes, the best uh, financial decision was to just change out the light bulbs and use better light bulbs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go too deep on yeah, the technology, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like solar and, and saving, saving energy. So I found myself in a full-fledged field sales role. And we were talking a little bit earlier about the different kinds of roles you have in sales and field sales is actually kind of towards the top of the ladder. And I got really lucky and it was only in retrospect, I realized what a massive gamble this company took on me. So this recent college grad, I got an offer that you typically don't get. And 
wasn't because I was so special. I think it was because, like I said, I managed to find myself in the right wave at the right time. I had unique experience, unique knowledge, unique references. And anyways, it enabled me to get in way over my head. Day one, they hand me a company Amex card for expenses and a a corporate (laughs) car. And they said, all right, go hit your million dollar quota this year. And that was about the extent of it. So you and were in so, the car driving around. Did driving you listen around. to any podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think the car had uh, had a microphone jack to like plug in my phone. Yeah. I th- actually, this is I, there's no way I even had an iPhone. This was a BlackBerry back in the day. <laughs> so I remember BlackBerry Nation. I was diehard for a long time. <laughs> you were BBM user. Yeah, I okay, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so you know, I should tighten this up. I'm going too long, but. I did two years of this field sales role. It was very much a school of hard knocks. I got doors slammed in my face physically, on the phone, all day, every day. I didn't receive a single lead for two years. Wow. Every single deal that I was able to scrounge up and close was something that I found for myself. It taught me to persevere. It taught me how to create value. And what I realized after a couple of years was that I still wasn't an expert in the prospecting phase. I hadn't learned it from experts. I was trying to do the whole cycle frankly, it was a little bit too much. So prior to that, I wasn't really thinking about tech, but this is when I started thinking about tech. That green sustainability movement was starting to wane a little bit. I sort of felt the word sustainability moving from like a cool buzzword to kind of a bad word as the economy starts getting worse. And so I managed to get a conversation with Box through friends of friends of friends. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how often these conversations go through your network. It's mm-hmm. the best way to do it. Work those referrals. Yeah, jobs and, we talk, referral. yeah. and we talk about how most of the jobs are not posted online, that they're done through referrals. That's so you right. Need to, they're done through relationships. You need to build those relationships. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention, because you guys talked about this earlier, and it was so true for me. When I was working in Honeywell, which was very, very far from a tech company, I absolutely thought there's no way I'm qualified. There's no imposter way syndrome. that I'm... Yeah, imposter syndrome which I still have today, by the way, that doesn't ever go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought, no way I could work in tech. That's like tech crunch and the coolest news and the coolest companies and big dollars. And I'm not qualified to work in that world. And so through a, so a lot of rejection and a lot of patience, I, I did manage to work my way in. And I remember holding an offer from Box and um, it was for a pure sales dev role. And I'm, I'm holding this offer. I'm very, very happy that I've got it, but I still have to make a pretty serious decision about, do I sign up for this position, which I know is going to be a year of pure cold calling. Mm-hmm. I've been in this field role. I kind of had this car. I was, yeah. I'm taking clients to steakhouses, but I need to make a serious pivot in my career. And I'm recognizing that and I'm weighing it. And I remember talking to somebody. I, went, I was invited to a trip. I think I get this offer on a Friday. And I'm going on a getaway with some friends and some friends, their friends that I hadn't known. We went out to Palm Springs. I'm in Southern California at the time. And I'll never forget this because I met this guy who quite literally is making it rain at a (laughs) pool party. I've never met him before. I'm looking at him like, who the hell is this guy? I, I don't have a clue. And in the second day, I think I went up and introduced myself. And this guy's throwing around a ton of cash. He bought us a table at a club. I mean, we're in Palm Springs. It wasn't Vegas, but still this guy's got a suite by himself and I'm staying in a, in a room with four other dudes and we're in twin beds. Um, and so I work up the courage to ask him. He's definitely older than me. I ask him, you know, what does he do? And I start prying and he sells 
servers in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and I started, I kind of back channeled him. I asked some of the other people that knew him. I said, what's his deal? How does this guy have so much money? It's wild. Um, and everybody said, yeah, he makes a million dollars a year selling servers. He makes a million dollars a year. It's pretty amazing. And so I got to talking to him and, and slowly over the course of the weekend, I kind of built a relationship with him. And by the end, I told him what I was currently sitting on. And I was sitting on an offer for a pretty modest amount of money to cold call for a year. And I was asking him, do I take this or not? And uh, he said, the reason that I'm here in this position making a million dollar years is because most people aren't willing to eat the shit sandwich. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's not rocket science. You just have to commit to it. It's commitment. If you're a good communicator, if you believe in yourself, if you dedicate yourself to the hard work, you can get here. And he said, he told me his story and he got from that position that I was telling him about to the position that he was currently in, he got there in five years. Wow. And I made that decision then and there that I was going to do it and take it and commit to it. And you know what? It was an incredibly hard year in that role. I moved to the Bay. I moved my then fiance, mm -hmm. uprooted her, made this huge gamble, lived in a place I'd never known or never lived in, worked for this company with all these different people and worked in a new industry and embraced that imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. I faked it until I made it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, from there, the rest is a little bit history. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I'm very lucky to be where I am. That was about five years ago that I made that decision. And wow. Awesome. So and I love that can, moment. You can only yeah. fake it so much in sales, right? So, yeah. I mean, you, you, you did your thing. So that's, that's really dope. And for those listening, sales, that was an SDR, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. That's an so, SDR. Yeah. yeah. So you started at the bottom and you uh, rose through the ranks. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. Awesome. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you several questions, but we're looking for actionable strategies, tactics, or resources that you've used to get to where you are today. Cool. Yeah. So Arthur. Um, this question is a little bit of a doozy. So imagine <laughs> you could send a text message to everyone in the world. <laughs> what would it be? And what would you say? Commit to it. I like solid. That. I like that. Solid, solid. So Based off of all the feedback that you've given as a manager over the years to your AEs and your SDRs, what would you say are the top three bullet points that you say consistently Ooh. to your people? Ooh. Well, the first one's really easy. Listen. Mm -hmm. No amount of talking, I think, is going to differentiate you. Certainly, you have to be a good communicator, like I said. But the thing that separates the good from the great are the awesome listeners. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really important bit of feedback that I give. You know, that manifests itself in a lot of ways. And in your day to day, you can think about this. We can all think of times when we've been in conversations and it's energetic and you find yourself talking at the same time as the other person that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. If that's happening, you're not doing your job and listening well enough. Yeah. So be listening for that in your own world and then stop talking and listen better. Other things got to be organized. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of cliche. You got to document, you got to take your own notes you got to follow up on the things that you say that you're going to do. And lastly, you know, in my world, I operate with a lot of top performers. Mm -hmm. We attract top talent. We, top, we attract people that are used to being the best yeah. in whatever walk of life they come from, and whether it's sports or it's school or it's past jobs. And sometimes the last bit of feedback that I have to give is keep in mind that this isn't brain surgery. Mm -hmm. There's nobody on the operating table in front of you. This is software. This is tech. Yeah. And sometimes we need perspective to chill out a little bit. Yeah. So be humble. Be humble. Listen to more country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you that, go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So this question is around uh, getting promoted. So 
when do you know when someone is ready from being an individual contributor on your team to becoming like a hiring manager or like a manager of a sales team? Mm. Like what are those qualities that you look for? I think in this transition in particular, I think for all roles, this is relevant, but in this one in particular, you got to demonstrate the role that you want before you ever ask for it. I know that somebody might be ready for that because they're just showing me. Their team is looking up to them. They've earned the respect of their peers and they're adding value to those around them by coaching, mentoring, listening, offering helpful advice. So before you ask for it, I suggest that you focus on demonstrating it. Got it. Got it. And so this is the last question before we ask you what's in the future, because we know you got to catch a plane. What would you say are your favorite sales books that you've read or just books in general? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. My favorite sales book is a book that wasn't written about sales. It was a book that was written about negotiating okay. and it's called Getting More. Okay. And it's by a guy named Stuart Diamond, I believe. Okay. You'll have to fact check me on that. Okay. But yeah, this book called Getting More, it's about listening. Mm-hmm. It's about being persistent. It's about being clear about what it is that you want. It's about getting wins for everybody involved. It's the single best sales book I've ever read. And it's not about sales. It's it's just about people relating to people and helping them accomplish their goals. And in the same vein, accomplishing what you want. I think that's the essence of sales. We win by helping our customers win. Yep. Beautiful. Awesome. And what do we expect from you in the future? And how can people keep in touch or know where to apply to to try to get a job at Twilio? First and foremost, twilio.com slash careers. Okay. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you. We are in a massive hiring spree right now. The team has grown from five AEs at the beginning of the year, just on the quota carrying side. And we're going, we're at 20 now. We're going to 40 by the end of the year. Wow. So we want to hear from four months. Yeah, exactly. Like less than four months. So yeah, you guys could do the math on that growth rate. And, you know, what to expect in the future. I'm going to be here at Twilio for years to come. We're Uh doing exciting things. We're, I really think, helping people transform their business by changing the way that they interact with their customers. And there's nothing more important to a business than that business's customers. And we want to help you interact with them in new and organic and natural ways. And we think that's just good for everybody when we can pull it off. So that's where I'll be. You'll find me here. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for chatting with you. And have a safe flight. And we look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.